1: Sports City, sport City, Sports City, Sports City, sport City, Sports City, Sports City, Sports City, Sports sport chef, Sports City, Sports City, yes Lord, we got a brand new present, Joe Biden, we riding, I pray you heaven sent, word from the wise, my people stay ahead of. Come on, I've been relevant, trying to survive the elements, it ain't no love in these streets, these dudes telling it, case goes from cold to hot state, Kaboom, Sports City Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on the spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. to so tell a friend, it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports City, Sports City, chef, chef. Sports City, Sports City, Chefs, chef. chef. Mm. Yeah. Cabin. Todd. <laughs> That's
0: a kid. Uh. The uh, fucking uh, 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 blazing, loosened up the tie. Step aside the kitchen. Thomas It's a lot. Sports City, what's going on? Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there in the world that is a mom that had a child or children. If you've adopted, whatever you need. If somebody claims you as a mother or mom, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Also, the call in number is 929-477-2759. We got you locked and loaded for the next hour or so. We, you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you are here with the chefs, dads. First and foremost, let me get the word from our sponsor out, and we will go from there. This
1: portion of our program is brought to you by PHI Apparel Company. PHI Apparel Company provides unique designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act
0: now while supplies last. Shout out to PHI Apparel that's been holding us down for the past couple of weeks or so. I can't get past that. I have to get that out there first and foremost. Shout out to everybody that's been putting their shows together on Sports City, the Buffet, uh, the front office, everything that we got going on, even the cookout as well, man. Thank you for everybody. We are in the month of May. And um, I, you know, felt real good about April, but coming into May, it's just like, it's a plethora of things going on in the sport world. And it just it just got me at a supreme high. So let me open these doors and get this thing rolling as best as I can. Calling out of the Midwest region of the United States, we have Mr. Harvey in the building. Mike, welcome to the brunch. How are you feeling this morning?
2: What's up, TP man? I'm always feeling good. It's always a pleasure to be uh, alongside you to go over uh, what's going on in the world of sports. We got a lot to get about to get to today, man, and I'm happy to be here to chop uh, it up with you.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting uh, what we got going on right now because. Um, Usually, you know, coming into the brunch, it's it's always, like, a good amount of games, whether it's college, so on and so forth, between basketball or football, college, or, you know, if it's a big game night, so on and so forth, which we'll be digging into some of it. But the fight night is what took flight. So I do want to start there, uh, try to get some of the conversation rolling there because these were interesting, entertaining fights on both the UFC MMA side of the coin, and also in the boxing situation, a.k.a. the sweet science. I will say the best for last. And I don't even know, I don't even know why I should say it that way, but to me, I'm, I'm a boxer fan. So other people, if you feel different, then call in and give me a piece of your mind. We can talk about it. So first and foremost, in the octagon, we have Charles Oliveira going up against Justin Gaethje. I'm not going to lie. I am a Justin Gaethje fan. Charles Oliveira, I respect his fighting style, but he stunned me last night. He was a champion uh, the entire week last week until the weigh-in. The weigh-in comes about. He's he's a half a pound overweight. They strip him of his belt. So now this is just a fight, right? And um, I was looking at this as, Gatesy could have won this fight. They are saying Oliveira was actually the favorite going into the fight, but the numbers were basically even if you looked at how big it had it weighed out before the fight. Um, but I left the fight alone. I wasn't gonna touch it because I just felt like they, it was just too even to like mess around with. And um, this fight only lasted one round, very entertaining, in which both of these guys got dropped in that round. And the crazy part about it was. This is the awkward situation I have towards Oliveira is he rather fight from the ground. Cause his fighting style, he could get you on the ground and, and hurt you. And um Justin dropped him and he tried to go down on the ground and like get invite Justin to come down there and fight him and Justin didn't want to take that so the uh the referee basically let Charles get back to his feet and start fighting. And um they went at it a couple of times. These guys traded bomb after bomb. It's a very inter- entertaining, like crazy. And, um, so comes up with a good bomb and he, he hit, he drops, Justin, Justin falls. He gets it down and then they start their grappling. And, um, he's, he's trying to work his way to get to a submission hold and he can't really get it. Cause Gaethje is fighting his way out of it, trying to get, get out of the grasp. And, um, He works his way to his lower legs because he basically has the hooks into his waist or whatever. He can't really get out. And Oliveira basically works his way to getting that rear naked choke to him and uh, putting a hole to his neck and uh, getting him to tap out. And uh, just watching Justin lose. But not only did he lose, he lost in his backyard. This fight took place in Arizona, no less, too. So it stunned the crowd. The crowd was hushed. And – Watching him yell at everybody out there, nobody could respond. And the first person he went to when he jumped out of the octagon after he just defeated him, he went straight to Dana White. And you could hear Dana tell him, "I can't give you the belt. You didn't make the weight." And instead of him like flipping on Dana, he kissed him on the top of the head and yelled at him anyway, like "Aha!" Like he still know that it it you know hurt him to watch Justin lose at home because you could tell the venue was set up for Justin Gaethje. But an excellent fight nevertheless. You can never you know, count out anybody. Like, you throw out the underdog or the favorite man. If they're up there to fight, Styles make fights, and this was an incredible fight, especially for it to end in a one-round situation, and it had that many fireworks. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on this fight in the MMA situation, UFC fight between Oliveira and Gates.
2: So, very, very action-packed, you know. It- it's funny, because comes forward. Like, I mean, like he's just a bulldog, right? Like, he just keeps coming after you. And sometimes when you're fighting a submission expert, a lot of times when you're coming forward, you're just kind of leaving yourself open and kind of baiting into a trap. Oliveira took a couple of shots last time out against Michael Chandler, too. And then uh, he bounced back and came out in the second round and choked him out. And Chandler uh, was a All-American-type wrestler, too. So, like... Um, has some ground game and so Olivera has always impressed me with his uh with his chokes and everything else I, you know I would have liked to have seen Olivera and uh McGonagoff. uh but I mean obviously he's not coming back and he's retired so there's you know another grappler that they're calling McGonagough 2.0 that's on his way up that that might be the next guy but I mean listen I think that Oliveira is clearly the best in the world at 155 pounds. At the end of the day, uh, they may call it interim or hold it up. He's going to get a chance to fight for his belt. I don't think they're going to put it on anybody else. Um, They just may not count. Well, no, they're not going to count this as a title defense for him, so it's not going to go in the books as a title defense. But I think he's going to get that that championship belt back there's not that many challenges for him at at 155 right now gucci is still one of the most entertaining fighters in the business um he had a good fight with uh chandler he's had a couple good fights with poirier um, and so i mean you're definitely going to see him again and you know nothing to hang his head about over is just a, a tough draw for anybody and um speaking of michael chandler uh, you know, Tony Ferguson has been a very entertaining fighter for a while. He's kind of, you're sort of worried about him now because he's on the on the back stretch. And that kick that Chandler hit him with straight down the pipe and just dropped him, like completely knocked him out. He was, uh, he laid motionless for a little while. And then when he got up, he was still, uh, he was still very dazed. So a big highlight reel knockout for Michael Chandler last night on the undercard in that event too. And Thug Rose, uh, took a, Took the L last night and lost her title. So those are the big things that happened in UFC last night on that card.
0: Okay, I don't know how to respond, I'm trying to stick to the script on this fight. Mm-hmm. Chandler fight with Ferguson, unexpected knockout with the, the front leg kick, the way that he caught him with that. Uh, unexpected situation with Rose also, but back to the Gaethje situation with Oliveira, um, they, they're saying that Oliveira oh, could end up getting another fight with another contender in that weight class for the belt, and then he could get it because it's vacant as of him not making the weight. So that's what brought yeah. more, more of the around the situation. But nevertheless, um, it was a great eventful night. I just wanted to stick to the main event situation right here, uh, uh, definitely the Michael Taylor situation with him trying to make his name back after losing a fight to Justin Gaethje also, was a, a redemption situation. Ferguson has not been dropped like that in his career, so that is interesting to see that happen, especially the way that it did. And uh, also at the end of the Chandler fight, he actually calls out Conor McGregor. But everybody's going to want Con- Conor because he's a money draw right now. I don't know if Conor's going to come back to the MMA or come back to boxing, but I know people will pay just to watch him fight. But who will he at- uh, attend this to because at the end of Olivera's fight, he called for Conor too. So are you going to fight Chandler or are you going to fight Olivera? So that's interesting. And then looking at the other side of the coin in the, you know, boxing world, and I can just transition to it too, with Jake Paul screaming for everybody, he wants to fight Conor McGregor and the guy that fought last night as well was Canelo Alvarez. Now, Canelo Alvarez was going up against Dimitri Boval uh he's uh, the Russian based country. I'm not even gonna try try to butcher the name of the country. It's, it's a, a crazy word, but um I was trying to say to people, say you're saying it wrong, sorry, you're saying it wrong, so I'm not gonna butcher it anymore. Uh however he's in the the country is located near Russia. Uh they consider him like a Russian style boxer. Uh, um they fought at leg heavyweight and I think that uh Canelo pushed his realm a little too far. And um I feel bad about Canelo in this fight because not only was he the smaller fighter, he was the favorite no less too. He's a smaller fighter height and weight wise. So it's tough to like basically be going uphill up against a guy Dimitri Baval, who actually is undefeated, young, uh, has the reach against you and he's heavier. Um and he exposed everything out of Canelo. After a while, you just seen Canelo throwing, like, combos that you could tell he worked on in training. Like, it wasn't like he had a game plan. He was hoping that things could work, and Buval basically just gave him gloves and forearms to hit. Canelo was not doing any damage to him other than basically hitting his arms or shoulders, and Buval responded back with, like, jabs and and straights and, and hooks, and everything was connecting. And uh, after a while, I want to say after like the sixth or seventh round, you see Canelo against the ropes a lot. He could not get away from the ropes. And um, if you're really watching what Canelo was trying to do, it really felt like he was trying to work the Philly shell. And I know he doesn't have any of the Philadelphia, you know, boxing legends or people that train there or if the Mayweathers are around him, none of them are around him for him to try to work that. And he was getting caught with punches and that was the damage that he should not have been taking. And um, even a couple of times when he came to the corner, they were saying that you're taking damage and Canelo knew it himself. Like he was aware that he was getting hit too much. Um, Baval, I've seen this since the Pascal fight. I gave you credit then. Did not expect you to keep running. You've been doing your thing up until this point. I feel bad that Canelo actually went that far and dodged a lot of people around his weight class so he could have been making – a bigger payday and more intrigued around his fights. Now he has a second loss, one to Floyd Mayweather, the other to Dimitri Bavar. Um, I wonder where he goes now. Cause now, just like I said, Jake Paul has been calling him out. I think Jake Paul should get tattooed by Canelo if they do fight. But now if he gets him to like bite at the bait and go after that fight, it's a big payday for both of them. But I think more of a big payday for Jake Paul, but your thoughts on the fight, with Canelo losing pretty big to Baval, even though the judges all scored it 115 to 113.
2: Yeah, I don't think the fight was as close as the score indicates. And I know that he has gone up to light heavyweight before and had success, but Canelo is not a light heavyweight, especially not against a bigger guy like that. Um, If you've been... On a wrestling mat, or in boxing, or in a contact sport, you know that sometimes going up in weight and fighting against a bigger, a bigger guy, sometimes, sometimes the best athlete or even the 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 person that's best at his craft can't always win. Sometimes size is tough to um, it's tough to overcome. I I think that Canelo has tried to handpicked some of his fights and and he has kind of ducked a few places and this was a guy that i mean listening was still like uh five to one odds on this fight and so uh this was he was a heavy favorite, but he just didn't have the size he didn't have the power it'll we'll be curious to see if he does fight this guy again because. Uh, one of the things that I was hearing after the fight was there was a immediate rematch clause in that contract, and Dimitri said, "Yeah, like if you want to do it, like let's talk about it. Let's line up and do it again." Uh, there was supposed to be the Golovkin fight in September. That could still happen. That may get put on hold now. Um, he may get a rematch here. I think that you're more likely to see him fight one or both of those guys before you see him fight uh, Jay Paul or Charlo or anybody like that. But, listen, Canelo, I, I will say that watching him fight the last few times out, especially after the, the last time he fought Golovkin or whatever, I thought that he was continuing to round into an even more complete boxer and continuing to to grow, this is a big setback, and I mean, this is a setback in his career, um, the guy's still 57-2, and two, but um, big hats off to the Russian man, he came and did what he needed to do, Canelo couldn't really hurt him, I mean, even in the last round, uh, you know, he was trying, and then late in the round, uh, Dimitri landed a couple of good shots, and then even Mike Tyson and a couple people got up and started walking out like they'd seen enough, they knew how this was going to turn out. He wasn't going to pull that Miracle out at round 12. A little bit too much size, a little bit too much length, a little bit too much, uh, just, I mean, listen, he, uh, he, he outboxed him and Canelo's power shots didn't have the same kind of effect. And against a bigger man, you you know, at times it's going to be, that's going to be an issue. I, I don't think that Canelo's best weight is light heavyweight, like I said, but, uh, but hats off. I mean, he, uh, it was a well-earned victory by Dimitri. I'm not even going to try to say his last name and butcher Were
0: well, there several fighters that uh, Canelo has actually not fought? Uh, one of the Charlo twins has been begging to fight him. He had not really entertained that uh, situation, but now he's going to have to address it to try to build his name back up. And also uh, David Benavidez, one of the Benavidez brothers uh, I actually know, Jose, Benavidez junior but um Jose lost in welterweight the welterweight division to Terrence Bud Crawford a little while ago. But David Benavidez is actually the bigger fighter. Uh he's undefeated at this point in time and actually poses an interesting threat to Canelo due to the fact that he's taller and has reach. And that's something that we just seen with Dimitri that posed a threat and actually has a good skill in boxing, not just guys that are trying to land a bomb and knock you out. So this is a problematic situation for Canelo at this point in time. I'm wondering what his next fight will be, uh, if he really is going after the rematch clause. Because if I was Dimitri, I wouldn't risk going after that. But if, if it's in the clause, then they got to make it happen. That fight is potentially supposed to go down in September. And Dimitri actually stated at the end of the fight, I'm sorry that I ruined your plans for... Uh, Golovkin the third, you know, because him and Triple G have fought several times and they're trying to get Triple G to get that fight back because Triple G has been doing everything that he can to fight Canelo, beating everybody since that situation happened with him and Canelo. And um it's interesting to see if he does end up fighting Dimitri. If he wins, does he go after Triple G or if he you know, if he loses, do they well no, if he if he wins, do they put up a part three for the, the Baval fight? If he loses, does he go after Charlo Benavidez and Triple G to watch him kind of crawl back to get his legacy back? Like, these are the questions that are going to loom in front of Canelo. Canelo's been there poster boy for some time ever since the loss from Floyd Mayweather, and he's been taking care of business as much as possible other than the draw that he had with Golovkin. Everybody's beaten uh, since that point. So I want to see which way this goes. Uh seeing if Bavala run that fight back or if he goes on a, a different path and what Canelo is going to be able to do from here on out. This is tough because he actually tried to cherry pick a situation and he's not that type of boxer. Now he's going to have to kind of fall in line to the way that a lot of people had to rebuild their legacy. And uh, it's tough because I do like Canelo, but um, it, it's an interesting word called karma. And you guys know, I say that a lot and um I want to see how at least 31, i say in his next two to three years, he's going to have to fight a lot more to, you know, regain that that realm of boxing and, and let, let alone he fought a light heavyweight. So he doesn't lose any of his belts in a different weight class. But um, I I don't know what's going to happen next. We'll, we'll see in the next coming days or weeks when, if he gets the rematch set or if he goes into another situation and trying to fight triple G all over again.
2: Yeah, there's uh lots of options there. And whatever happens next could I mean obviously gonna create a domino effect is how it continues to fall. But you know, I think um Canelo's won enough big fights and had few enough losses that, you know, if he can pull a few more a couple more wins, bounce him back off of this, like his legacy will still be very, very strong. But like you said, there's a few people that he hasn't fought yet. And if he takes a few more L's, then, uh, listen, uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit different ending in the record, book I like in the history books for sure.
0: Right. Um, he, he's going to have to fight a big name or a couple of big names to get people to be like, well, he's considered like, you know, your sugar razor, your, your Hagler, so on and so forth. Because he, he built a lot of his wins up when he was young in Mexico and, and fighting a lot of guys that we didn't know about until, uh, I want to say about three or four years before the Floyd fight, and then we got caught up to what Canelo was all about and being a young bull. Canelo means bull. And um, he lost that fight up against Floyd, and, and I really felt like he just was – the experience was in the corner of Floyd. And I, I feel like the Boxing Federation kind of owed it to Canelo to, you know, they put him in front of somebody that's one of the greats of all time to be like, okay, well, you you you, did, you, you served your due – against him now just beat everybody else up and now one of them fights came back and got to him so now we'll see what Canelo can do at the end of the day but i i don't know I, it depends on what his next two fights look like if he's fighting in september which i think that's going to be the plan if he fights in december after that to try to you know keep everybody on their toes about what he's up to next so this is this is all up in the air okay so i do want to jump into something quickly before i get into what happened yesterday in a couple of arenas, uh, well, two, two arenas in the country. And then move on to how we feel about the picture predictions of two more arenas that'll be played in today. Um, but first and foremost, I do want to go over the standings in the MLB, or at least over the division leaders, because it actually got interesting as this is, you know, coming to the start of the week of Sunday right now, the New York Yankees remain hot, but they lost their first game. Uh, Ending this run that they were on, they're eighteen and seven in the AL East. Uh, they are being trailed by the Rays, and the Rays are always in their rear view for some odd reason. They're eighteen and ten. Toronto is seventeen to twelve. Toronto started out hot; they're starting to calm down. I don't want to say cool off. I'll just say calm down. To be fair, the Baltimore Orioles are ten and sixteen in that division as well. And to round out the bottom of the situation, the Red Sox are ten and eighteen at this point in time. Nine and a half back at the bottom of the division. The Central Division, the Minnesota Twins are seventeen and eleven, being followed by the White Sox who are thirteen to three at the time. Uh Cleveland is on a stretch right now putting it together. They have just, they won their game last night. They're thirteen and fourteen. Uh Kansas City is eight and fifteen and around out the bottom of the central are the Detroit Tigers eight and eighteen uh at this point in time. Um the Angels Are ahead of their pack in the West. They're being followed by the Houston Nationals, who are 17 and 11. These these guys' records are basically identical. Um, The Angels, however, are (laughs) set back once again, and I'm not laughing, but it's an injury that's looming in this organization again. One way or another, it's always something that happened to either Otani or Trout if they could get it together. Uh, Third place. In the division are the Mariners. The Mariners are 12 and 16. Uh, Texas is 10 and 14. To round out the situation, the Oakland A's are 10 and 17 at this point in time. To round out the AL West, the National League we have as follows: the Mets are probably the hottest team in baseball, but the better record goes to their crosstown rival, the Yankees. The Mets are 19 and nine. The Marlins are 13 and 14, the Braves are 13 and 16, the Phillies are 11 and 15 and the Nationals are 10 and 19 to round out the National League East. The National League Central, uh we have the Brewers who are actually hitting the crap out of the ball. They are 19 and 9. Also, uh the Cardinals are 16 and 11 keeping pace right behind them. The Pirates are 11 and 15. The Cubs are nine and seventeen, and to round out the central, the Cincinnati Reds have the worst record in baseball at four and twenty-three. That's Looking a bad at the NL West, oh, oh we could—I'll I'll let you get there. Um, in the NL West, we to round out the whole situation or these in the baseball situation. The Dodgers are eighteen and seven, the Padres are eighteen and ten, the Rockies are sixteen and eleven. The Giants are 15-12, and 12, and the Diamondbacks are 14-14. and 14. They are in the best division in baseball, being the National League West, um, including the Dodgers, who are putting it together and playing good on a five-game winning streak at this point in time. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on any of the division races or any of the teams that you'd like to talk about at this point in time?
2: The Dodgers are on a pace to win. Oops over 110 games this year right now um, they got a stretch right now where they have 30 and 30, 31 games over 30 days or something thick um, so it'll be interesting in six different cities so they got a nice little run up, but they've been able to flex their muscles even in the depth of that pitching staff you know listen if you're in one of the two biggest cities in the country in New York or LA you have two first place baseball teams so, uh, <laughs> everything on the coast, they're playing good ball. Like you said, the, um, the, the Brewers are hitting the ball well. Um, I hope that, uh, is okay with him getting banged up a little bit, uh, this weekend. I don't know the extent of that yet. Um, but listen, a lot to unfold. We said that, uh. We said on this network, a couple of us said that we thought that the Padres could end up being the second best team in that Western Division. Uh, shout out to the Diamondbacks, happen to play 500. Listen, the Reds are four and 23. You just read they went two and two to start the season, so they're two and 19 since. that is not a very very good baseball team right now at all. Um, and they're just trying to keep their head above water. A bunch of disgruntled fans with owner comments early in the season too. I mean, listen, we're about a um, we're a little bit more than a week away from the quarter pole, a week and a half away from the quarter pole of the regular season. It's hard to hard to believe that, but we're almost to that uh, forty game mark, forty one game mark. So um, a lot a lot to still be determined, but interesting the way things are shaking out. If you heard the Yankee fans talk, even on our show, TP. Uh, the sky was falling. They didn't do enough compared to everybody else, and they were going to be in trouble, and, and they're playing good ball. Um, I feel like the Red Sox just haven't gotten started offensively. He would have thought that they would be uh, sitting in last place in that division. The Braves hadn't really got kickstarted either, but they did get Acuna back two home runs in two nights, and uh, I, I'm impressed with uh, the supporting cast that Otani and Trout are getting with the uh, – with the Angels, Tyler Ward, and uh, a few other guys are really uh, playing some good ball, and the Mets are really hot. So, uh, anyway, uh, nice job covering the standings, and that's where we are right now.
0: Um, I, I've been here a couple of times in my life. I can't lie, especially in the uh, the latter part of well, I, I really want to say the mid '90s, but going into the later '90s, going into 2000 and 2000, things started to turn around. But it never – I don't think I've ever seen it this bad for Cincinnati where they watch a lot of their pieces go to other teams, pitchers, uh, field players, everything, like day-by-day players, they watch this team break up. For them to be 4-23, they have to change something. But I don't know how they could get this done overnight, especially in a heavy uh, competitive division in the National League Central, especially while the Cardinals and the Brewers are playing good ball at this point in time. And – Pittsburgh is always a team that you look at like they're a team that people pick on, but they're actually doing enough to stay around 500. I don't know if they can catch 500. It would be interesting for them if they can, uh, but they haven't done well in their last 10 games. They're 3-7 and seven out of the last 10, but uh, they won their game last night. So I, I don't know what Cincinnati is going to do to make this turnaround for this season. I think this is all of, you know, a lot of times when you see one of your worst teams in the league, just stay there until next season, and they try to turn things back around in the follow season. I, I think Cincinnati's in a tough scenario coming out of the month of April and uh, stumbling out of the blocks. Um, looking across the board, just like you said, with the California teams, at least in LA and New York City, they both are. All, well, all the four teams are in first place. This is something that we discussed elsewhere. Also, uh, um, I'm very, imp- I'm thoroughly impressed with what the Mets are doing right now. I was talking a lot of junk to a lot of Mets fans that I know, and it's like Karma came back and got me. These guys are riding an extreme high right now. Uh there's six or four out of their last ten. though, they kind of calmed down. I don't. I don't like to say cooled off because then that cooled off will come back and get you. Um, there's another team that's hot, which in which is in the AL West. Watch out for the Houston Astros. They have put it together. They also got Dusty Baker, milestone win, which is celebrated because there's no. African-American skippers that have done this uh, while they're on this uh, type of path. So hopefully the Astros can put something together for them looking into the postseason. But this is early still. This is still the first month with a week into May uh, while they make this type of ahead at this point in time. The Astros are on a six-game winning streak and eight and two out of their last ten in this point of time also. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add to the baseball talk before we do get away from it, Mike?
2: No, I do, I do like that. The shout-out to Dusty being the first back man to get 2,000 wins and only 12, only the 12th manager of all time to reach that point. So a big shout-out to Dusty Baker, man. It's cool to see. Okay, so we're going to move right
0: along and get into the meat and potatoes of what I talked about with the arenas in the nation. Only two of them, though, but one i got to start with right now, the first game of the day. Yesterday were the Boston Celtics going to Wisconsin to visit the Milwaukee Bucks. This game was a thriller. If you were not at the edge of your seat, you probably were not watching the game. This game ended 103-101. to 101. Um, This game is full of storylines. I don't know where to begin, but I'm going to say this here and now before I get to Mike. Giannis is on pace to me at this point in time to be in these conversations with the dominant forces of like your Michael Jordan, your Shaquille O'Neal, your Kareem's, He is in this conversation. He is consistently putting up monster numbers. Every time he goes out there, it's not like they could do any defensive scheme to keep him out of the game. This guy goes off for 42 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. He almost had a triple-double and mind you, he's playing the power forward position. Like, this guy's going this crazy. They need to change it from the Greek freak to, like, the Greek Frankenstein. I, I don't know what to call him. It, it, it's absurd for what he's done. He had somebody that actually started yesterday in Grace and Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen played 25 minutes yesterday and did not score. And it was like, it's okay. Just jump on my back. I have it. Well, well to help him also – Drew Drew Holiday also came up with a 25-point night, uh, three assists and seven rebounds to help them out in a winning effort. But other than that, there was 13 points from Brooke Lopez, nine from Bobby Portis, and 11 from Pat Connaughton. You had a three-ball hit by Wes Matthews. That's it. The rest of this was the Giannis Show. His fingerprints were all over this game. Now I do have to give credit to the Celtics. The Celtics came out and played, except one person, and I've been giving this one person a lot of credit. And I feel like Karma is letting me know, keep quiet because it's gonna come back to bite you. And it's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum had ten points in a losing effort. He went four for nineteen from the field. He was zero for six from three. Um, uh, If he makes a three basket, they win. If if he hits another field goal, they are in overtime. This guy let them down. Uh, the one thing about the Celtics that bothers me personally, which it could be nor here nor there, is how many attempts Horford gets to shoot threes. Horford shot more threes than Jason Tatum shot threes. Even though he finished the game 4-7, and seven, but there's times in the game where he'll miss back-to-back threes, and it's like the team needs a, a score. They need a, a positive possession. And he'll launch like he's the best shooter on the team. And I get it where a lot of those big swallow up and go into the paint uh, is one thing. But at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm not come to watching Horford launch like he's a shooting guard. But nevertheless, the Celtics did do a good job to make this game entertaining. Uh, Jalen Brown had 27 as a high for Boston. Uh, at Horford did finish with 22 as well. They also got 14 out of White off the bench. Nine from Grant Williams off the bench also. Um, but Pritchard got involved. He did not score. Uh, Marcus Smart gave them nine points as well. And like I said, Tatum, the only, he only gave them 10 points. And Robert Williams uh, gave him 10 points as well, uh, being the big for the Celtics. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on this game with the Bucks and the Celtics? Bucks advancing, well, not advancing, but winning this game by two and pushing the series at two to one. Well, a
2: couple of things. Uh, I saw some adjustments by Milwaukee, but let me start on the Boston end. If you told me you were going to get double-doubles out of Brown and Horford, I would have said they had a good shot. But Jason Tatum, he's going to have a lot more good games than he's had some good playoff games. But yesterday, four out of 19, just not good shooting the ball. right? right. Um, but I look at that, and I see all the different things that happen, and I'm going to get to Milwaukee in a second. But even you look at that last shot, the shot doesn't go down. Robert Williams gets a tap, misses. Horford gets a tap, misses. Second tap again. And all this was on the missed free throw where they were able to get the ball off the board. And they had, as, they used to say, uh, as Chick Hearn used to say, four bites at the apple, and the last one was late. You knock even one of those little easy putbacks down, this game goes into overtime, and who knows what happened. So with all this things that happened and with as bad as Tatum shot the ball and everything else this team was two points away and one put back away at the end or like you said one made three but one put back in at the end from sending it to overtime and who knows what happens when you get into that extra period so you know this was in Milwaukee um, and Boston did uh, compete and they were in that game So the thing that I really liked about Giannis, he had twenty six of his points in the paint in this ball game. He had seventeen of his forty after penetrating, like on the move, and what he was able to uh, pull up and and shoot, whether just taking it to the rim or whatever. Uh, But Giannis pushed the action. Boston threw a lot of different things at him. Um, in the last game, and they were able to kind of slow him down, he had a little bit of a sluggish game too but listen he they said he was angry even in practice, and he played like it yesterday. he played really well uh listen you can't you can't say enough about the way he played yesterday and listen they needed they needed every bit of those points right in order to pull this out. I will say for Milwaukee um since they're not gonna have Middleton, they kind of moved holiday down and started. Uh, incorporating Holiday into that two-man game with Giannis that you usually see uh, Middleton do. And so uh, it was kind of interesting to see how that played out. Uh, Holiday was not as good shooting the ball yet. He didn't shoot the ball great either. I mean, he wasn't as bad as Tatum, but he was 11 out of 30 Uh shooting the basketball, so that's just one more make than shooting 33% from the field. And Holiday's not a great shooter, but he's usually better than that, so you got to feel like you're going to get a little bit better shooting performance from him. Now listen, a playoff series about adjustments from game to game. Uh, Milwaukee's adjustment, like I said, was to put Holiday in that two-man game and how they handle it. Now let's see how Boston responds in Game 4. Uh, listen, there was not anything that was one-sided enough for me to feel confident that i know how this series is going to turn out this could still be an extremely competitive series but what i will say is i think boston has to get it. just like milwaukee got one in boston boston's got to get one in wisconsin before they come home to reestablish that home court advantage otherwise uh if you know if they go back home 3-1 i think it's probably just a matter of time i don't see either one of these teams well, and Milwaukee doesn't have to now, but I don't see either one of these teams winning three in a row um, in order to pull this out. So this is a, a huge game for, for Boston. Pressure is really kind of on both teams in some ways. Uh, Milwaukee to maintain home court and to try to get more of a, a choke hold on this series, so to speak, and Boston to try to even it up and get that home court back. So, uh, you know, with this game three being close, lot to look forward to in the next game, and I look forward to seeing these two hook up again. We said this would be an extremely entertaining series walking in, and I don't think there's been anything happen over the course of these three games to disprove that.
0: Okay, so there was something I was talking about with Giannis's dominance. He is 27. He'll be 28 this December. He's a Sagittarius, like myself. His birthday is on Sports City's birthday. December 6th is his birthday. Hello. So, it's all type of Sagittarius stuff. But the question that I have to you is, he'll be 28. Let's just say 28 at the end of the year, but he's 27 now. Let's just use the 27. I'll be fair, right? How long does this dominance run for him? Three to five? Two to four? Longer? Do they slow Giannis down? Is there a player built in this league that could give him a fit? Like, I don't see anybody that really bothers him. LeBron is going to be walking out of here. KD will be out of here soon. How long does this go with Giannis moving at this clip against everybody in the league?
2: I think it goes as long as he can take care of his body. Giannis seems to work hard. And the other thing to me about Giannis is he hasn't just rested on his uh, athletic ability. I feel like he's trying to do things. That you see from great players, as far as add another wrinkle or improve on one other aspect of his game. At 27 years old, if this guy stays healthy, like he could dominate for a few years in this league and be one of the uh, be one of the best players in the game. And the interesting thing is, is as he gets older, if he continues to get smarter as well, you know how them old heads get. Like once they get into their 30s, they might not be as fast or explosive as they were once before, but they know that they know how to take those little shortcuts and you know cut you off on the defensive end and make you have to work a little harder they know how to get to their spot still you know as they get older so if he listen uh, this guy's young he's already got a championship he's got a possibility of winning another one this year uh, he's Milwaukee's done things to really bring in pieces around him uh, Giannis is going to be a problem for the Eastern Conference and the rest of the NBA at least uh, you know at least for the next five years if this guy stays healthy. And I expect him to play at a high level even longer than that, possibly.
0: That is a fair number. I agree with you. I'll do the five also. Um, he's, let's just say 27. I'll, I'll say 27. Three more years this, LeBron, at least, be, should be heading out of the league. At least. He's at least. Because he's really waiting for his son, I'm guessing. That's what they're saying. He's waiting to play ball with his son. I don't even know if LeBron has that much left in him. Another small forward that could contend with him is, like, Kevin Durant. But we've seen how he's attacking Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's in this situation also. Tatum is another threat out east as well. But I think this is his eastern conference. This might be his time to, like, shut down the eastern conference and and bring as much as he can in Milwaukee because this this ain't going to last for too long. But he's doing a great job while he's in the spotlight doing it right now. So I agree. That three- to five-year window is what I will pin him to five years at the most, and and not trying to, like, say that that's the end-all, be-all, but I feel comfortable in saying three-to-five, and I agree with the five years also. Now, there was another game that was being played in the state of California in the city of San Francisco, and this is the Memphis Grizzlies going to visit – the Golden State Warriors, in which they are down Dylan Bush due to the ejection of the flagrant foul, two, And also the Warriors are down Gary Payton, too, due to that flagrant foul with a fracture in his shooting elbow. Um, watching this game go down early, it was back and forth. Memphis had an interesting lead. Uh, once Golden State got their feet underneath them, it was, you know, kind of, the way that they wanted this game to pan out. And then the most interesting story of the NBA basketball season happens, an uh, incidental situation in which Jordan Poole injures Ja Morant, probably one of the biggest stories of the playoffs at this point in time. We're waiting to find out more details on the injury at this point in time. But I know this, the Grizzlies do not move without Ja Morant. So we have to hope that that's just like a, a a dead leg or something, like he can get iced up and be back for the next game. But there's no way that they could win Game 4 in San Francisco without him. Dylan Brooks is set to return for Game 4, even though this Grizzly team has gone, I think, 20-2 and two without him. This is a different breed of team going up against a championship-caliber Golden State Warrior team. Uh, Your thoughts on this game and what happened in the midst of it as well. Golden State wins this game by 30, 142-112.
2: You know, I thought the interesting thing was now they finally transition back. And so Curry starts, Jordan Poole comes off the bench and still drops a cool 27 on him. Uh, The guard play from this Golden State team is, is it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, Jordan Poole has finally turned into to that guy for them. That hard work has really paid off. Uh, Morant hit the three at the end of the first half, and I think it pulled him to seven. I want to say it was like sixty four fifty seven or something at that point, and I, that's the closest they ever got. Um, after that, uh, listen, Morant did about all that you could expect him to do um, through three-and-a-half quarters. Uh but Golden State was able to make it tough on everybody else, and Golden State found their shooting legs. I, I worried that that Memphis was in trouble after dropping one of those games at the FedEx Forum uh, down by the river and then down by the Mississippi River. I thought they might be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, listen, they come back, they. They did get that that second game to to square that series. They're going to have to have all hands on deck. Seeing John Morant with six nineteen to go in the fourth quarter, you know, rubbing that knee as he hobbles off the court is is definitely a concern. And, and you hit it on the head. This team played well without John Morant during the regular season, but the playoffs is a different ball game, and this is a. Even though you got some new pieces on this team, on this Golden State team, the nucleus of this team is tried and true. They're uh, you know a championship level team. They've been to that mountaintop and they they've had experience, and so they've been in this postseason and they're familiar with how you have to raise your play in May in in, in the NBA and. Memphis is still kind of learning that that's this is still a young team they scrapped they've they've played hard Golden State played well yesterday uh they played well pretty much throughout this whole series. I think they had thirty assists or something in in the first game of this series uh Golden State's gonna have to play to beat this team. Memphis is still not gonna be an easy out, even if John Morant's not there. Golden State's gonna have to play well. I expect him to um, it's It's gonna take a pretty big uh effort and a surprise for me. Uh, for Memphis to be able to win this series. They missed Brooks yesterday, you know, with with everything up in the air on Morant. Like, to me, I I think not all wins are created equal, and even though it's only one game, 30 points is a pretty significant margin. And so I, I think that now they have firmly grabbed home court advantage, they being Golden State. And I don't know how many games it's going to take, but I expect them now to find a way to go ahead and and figure out a way to win a couple more games and close this thing out. I don't know that it's going to be over in five. It may take six. Uh, but I think that Golden State's sitting pretty right now in this series.
0: Right now, they, they have home court advantage. They have the second win. Everything relies on this game four at this point in t- time. And the, uh, the crazy part is, is we're all waiting for, like, the injury report to see what Jaws, because Jaws, the one that Golden State can't defend, whether they put Wiggins, whether they put Thompson, and they damn sure are not trying to put Steph Curry on him, but that could potentially happen. He's been able to get around these guys as best as possible. But now that this is a bothersome situation that is toward his legs, a.k.a. the wheels, I want to know the, you know the severity of the situation, if he's able to give it his all like he has been or if he's going to have to scale it back and hope for his team to get involved. So this is unfortunate that it's happening to the Grizzlies, the way they've been playing all together, and he's been the guy that's been leading the ship. I just can't wait to hear what the doctor feedback is, is going to say uh, moving into game four for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, okay, so I'm going to get away from that because we do have ten minutes left. The caller number is nine two nine four seven seven two seven five nine. I want to get into the game that we have set, and this is crazy, people, because uh how this is supposed to go down uh, in the NBA playoffs. I thought that this was going to get ugly, especially with you know the team out of South Beach and the team full of brotherly love, and and everything kind of turned around as uh, things kind of calm down. So the first matchup is the Western Conference game, and that is the Phoenix Suns are playing the Dallas Mavericks, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Dallas has just gotten a game back on their home floor. Chris Paul didn't play up to par. He had seven turnovers in the last game. Uh, How do you feel this game goes down, Mike? Does this change for Chris Paul, or does – did Dallas Mavericks bring a fight to this game and tie this thing back up going back to Arizona?
2: I'm not surprised Dallas got game three. I just uh, I feel like, you know, the series kind of sw- changed places, and so I'm not surprised. I think we're going to see a better performance out of Chris Paul in this game. Is it enough? We'll see. I expect him to play better in this game. I think overall from top to bottom, Phoenix has the better team. Uh, You can make an argument that Lucas is talented as anybody on the floor. Uh, But I think that Phoenix overall has the better team. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me to see Dallas find a way to square this series. Uh, But I'm going to say Phoenix finds a way to win today and go up
0: 3-1. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I I am going to agree with you, though. I think Phoenix does make this a 3-1 series. I think Dallas is going to come out hot. Everybody's going to be screaming their faces off, so on and so forth. But um, I feel like Phoenix will have enough to make this a tough game in the fourth quarter and try to pull away with, like, a minute or two left. So I agree with you. I think Phoenix can make the 3-1 and try to close this thing out before Dallas gets that momentum and try to make this, uh, you know, a pivotal game five. And if Phoenix loses that game, the pressure's on them, especially why a lot of people have them pegged to win the Westerns especially while the Lakers aren't in their way. Um, The next game we do have uh, is the 8 o'clock game between the Miami Heat visiting the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, this has become very interesting because the first two games that the Miami Heat, they won handily at home. A lot of people pointing fingers at more or less Doc Rivers and James Harden to get this thing right. Embiid was out due to injury and concussion protocol. They thought that he was going to sit out game three. A lot of people were telling him not to play. He ends up playing, and it didn't even look like it bothered him one bit. He ended up being very instrumental in their win, and now the pressure is back on Miami. Not saying that Miami can't steal game four because that is still there, still present, so on and so forth. With Embiid being there, if Embiid wants to, he could get a lot of these guys in foul trouble. He still settles for the jump shot outside a lot, um, but I'm wondering if he does change that mentality and know what's on the line or trying to get to an Eastern Conference Final or the NBA Finals, do Philly have what it takes to even this series in Game 4, at 8 p.m., Eastern Standard, Mike?
2: Listen, I think they do. Can they put enough consistency together to do it? I don't know, but I, I think they have enough because I, I think that what you saw in Game 3 is what happens when you have a quality big on the other side from Bam. Uh, Bam kind of was able to roam free in there. In the first two games without Joel Embiid, uh, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think Bam is really more of a four. I, when you have another uh, a big physical guy down there, it, it's not as easy for for Bam to be, get where he wants to go and for him to make the same kind of in, impact around the rim. And uh, Bam Adebayo is a nice player, but he's not uh, he's not Joel Embiid, and that's a that's a big monster to try to hold on to. It's like Samuel Jackson told uh, told Junior and, and Coach Carter, "Junior, hold on to that monster." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's what uh, that's what kind of Embiid is down there, and I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, so I think that he can if that if that team continues to play through him and Embiid doesn't show the effects uh, of that concussion, he comes back and, and has a repeat performance of of what he did Friday night. I think they do have enough to even this series. I think overall still Miami has probably has the better team and wins this series, but uh, I look for the Sixers to play some strong basketball today, unless they square it.
0: Okay. This, this is very interesting. I don't know which way to go with this because I'm waiting for one person to step up, and that's James Harden. James Harden, if you help them out, this could be a no-brainer. Miami could be laid flat for the rest of the series if you step up. But it's been Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid carrying a lot of this weight. And Tobias Harris has actually turned it around as much as possible to at least have his you know, his fingerprints somewhat on the series or the games that they've been playing. Harden, they are waiting for you to arrive. The NBA has been giving you so many different chances. You winning MVP, so on and so forth, enough is enough but you actually bring the intrigue to the game on if you're going to show up or not. And this is what we're all waiting to see. If you can finally play uh, postseason without getting drained, without being tired, without needing the whole team to stand behind you and you're supposed to be quote unquote, an MVP, MVP caliber player. I want to see that happen to help this team because Philadelphia, they trusted the process. They watched Ben Simmons go up and down they're already talking about Doc Rivers potentially losing his job as the head coach. Get that team out of fire, James, because if they end up losing the series, not only will Doc Rivers be looking for a job, you may be out of the Keystone State, a.k.a. Pennsylvania. So you better watch it closely. Step up and play better ball to make this better because you know Jimmy Butler has a chip on his shoulder against his organization because the way he left when he was on that team previously. Okay, so we are at the end of the show. Is there anything else that you'd like to add, Mike, before we start to shut this thing
2: down? Ah, uh, no, man. It's just always a pleasure to do this with you. It's always hey, without the listeners, we wouldn't be here, man. So, uh, once again, a happy Mother's Day to everybody, and thank you for anybody that take that is taking the time and and sharing a part of their Sunday with us on the on the Sunday morning brunch.
0: That's for sure. You going to give me a plug? Close out anything that you like to promote as we shut the doors here at the brunch.
2: Yeah, man. Check out the website sportscitychef dot com. Got blogs. Got finger foods. We got shows throughout the week. Got a baseball show on Tuesday nights. We've been doing a general manager show. Those have been alternating uh, for a while. We make up here baseball for a little while. We got the cookout on Wednesday nights. We got the brunch on. Uh, on Sundays, our mothership show, and uh, listen, come check out the barbershop on Clubhouse where we continue to grow. Uh, lots of rooms, lots of content there, so continue to come be part of our community there. And les bon temps, my friend.
0: Bonbons, Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Give them all of that French stuff. I'm going to set my Crayola up. I'm giving you words now, that's for sure. But um, stay tuned. We got a lot of stuff going on throughout the week. May is here. We are getting closer to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Hockey is at a premium with the playoffs going on as well. Shout out to my blue shirts, even though they got beat last night pretty handily in Pittsburgh. I'm mad about it. Um and also with the baseball buffet, like I try to get this, a lot of the standings out and how things are going down. It is very interesting to see how these things and how these divisions will be won. On that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports city,
1: sports city, chefs, chefs, sports. Sports City, Chefs, Chefs, Sports City, Sports City, Chefs, chefs. Sports City, Sports City, chefs. Kaboom, Sports City Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on the spoon, they well in tune, blown like a flower in June, Superman verse Mf Doom, the clouds loom, To so tell a friend it's the Sports City Chefs again, pay attention, tune in, we on the
2: Get. uh